And so I want to say to you that, that in this moment, as you pray, as you give, as you volunteer, as you talk to neighbors and, and friends, just know that when, not if, when with CCV in the lead, you win a victory for life and turn back that constitutional amendment, you will have done more than your share to set our nation inexorably on a path of restoring the sanctity of life to the center of American law all across this nation. Welcome back to The Narrative. I'm Mike Andrews, joined by Aaron Baer and David Mahan. Gentlemen, it's been a minute. We've been on a, a bit of a hiatus, doing absolutely nothing, right? We've just got our feet up around the office, nice and relaxed few weeks here, no galas, no big legislation moving. If our audience can't tell, that's all sarcasm. It has been a whirlwind few weeks since we've last been with our listeners, and probably the most important thing that's happened just happened last week um, over at the State House. There was some movement on a, a bill to create a special election in August to give Ohioans the chance to vote on whether or not they want the threshold to amend the state constitution to be 60% and created a lot of discussion on both sides of the aisle. And David, I know you had a, a front row seat to what was going on there last last week. Can you just walk our audience through some of the things that you saw and experienced being at the state house for those proceedings? Yeah, I mean, Mike, it was it was it was incredible. Um, you know, before the day, it was it was day to day, right? I mean, it, folks were we're talking to members constantly, and um, you know, sometimes getting different different issues pop up every conversation. But but when the day hit, literally, it was hour to hour. Uh, and uh, one of the most beautiful things, though, uh, is that encouraging things is that I just saw the body of Christ uh, step up and and uh, in ways that I've I've not seen in, in a while, and um, they they were emailing, they were calling, uh, they showed up, we had pastors come, um, the, the right to life community showed up big time, um, and, and stayed all day long. Uh, then we kind of moved from outside of the state house into the state house around, around noon, uh, you know, anticipating that the session, the house session would start at three. And so literally like older folks were in there standing for, for two and a half hours. It, it was, it was insane. And then we had the, the protesters move in behind them and, uh, and, and it got dark. I mean, it, it really felt dark, um, for a while. Um, even, even had an opportunity in the evening to talk to others that were on the Senate side looking down and they were saying that, uh, it, it was, it was, it just felt dark. Uh, I just saw women weeping in prayer. Uh, because because it was about it's not just about amending the constitution, right? So why are we? It, it was about babies. It was about lives that were hanging in the balance and um, hearing some of the things that were being said. It, it just got dark. But the, they finally led us into, um, you know, upstairs into the chamber, and um, thankfully there were more of us than there were of the other the opposition side. But when the vote started happening, so the first vote, Mike, was um, to amend the uh, August election piece into uh, the legislation. And when that went, um, when, when that got voted in, the Democrat members began to protest. And then that drew in the handful of other protesters. And, and we literally got kicked out of the house. All of us, they just, they just cleared the gallery and um, you know, and folks walked out and were getting booed and hissed at. Uh, but the good news is uh, to the tune of 60, to to uh to 37 um it 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 passed and um and it was exciting and um and we're looking forward to an august election well david you provided the emotional background and, and kind of painting that picture <laughs> but uh as a host i'd be remiss if we didn't actually talk about why this is so important and why it was such an emotional <laughs> day right so let's let's toss it to you, Aaron. You you can adequately explain more than adequately explain why we need sixty percent at this exact moment in time. What what uh, what no one realizes is uh, this uh, this podcast is brought to you by Benadryl and uh, Dayquil and Nyquil um, because um, everyone on this uh, podcast, including our producer. Is getting over. Uh, it, this happens. This happens to me every gala season, which is we we, we finish our galas and then I get sick, uh, and and it especially was true this year because we had just all this. What David just walked you through that was like 
that was like four hours worth of you know intensity that has been spanning the last you know five six months um and so uh grace we, we we're asking for grace on this on this pod because we're all a little foggy right now and we're we're um, mixing in a few technical difficulties that we're weaving exactly, our way around yeah too. no that's so, right we're, so we're, there there are reasons why this may have a little <laughs> less polish than normal folks but we promise uh, stick with us we'll get you the information you need that's right that's right no, so you know just the there there's a long history here and I'll, I'll try to keep it short but the baseline on it is the you know, look, if you look at the U.S. Constitution, um, and I'm not going to go all the way back to, you know, 1781 um, or 83, uh, but the the baseline on it is it's much more difficult to amend the, con- the U.S. Constitution than it is to change uh, U.S. law, right? Um, because that's where you put your sort of foundational principles that are, are things that shouldn't change much over time. Um, however, Ohio is a, a rare state that makes it incredibly easy to change our constitution, right? So there's only about 18 states in the nation that allow the voters to change the constitution by by their ballot, uh, by going to the and, and a lot of those states, like Florida requires 60%, um, Nevada requires actually two votes of the people uh, in order to, to change the constitution. In, in Ohio, it only requires uh, one 50% vote, 50% plus one vote to, to change the constitution. Um, which has left our constitution to become just a playground for corporate and liberal special interests, right? Um, so you, you know, the you just for context here, the U.S. Constitution is a little, and this actually came from our, our friend, uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Um, the the U.S. Constitution uh, is about uh, seven thousand words. Um, the Ohio Constitution uh, is about seventy thousand words. Uh, and it includes everything from, you know, our, our beautiful religious freedom amendment, that's sort of the first, first section of, of the Ohio Constitution, to uh, explaining specific land plots where casinos can be located, right? This is the absurdity you get when it's so easy to, to amend your constitution. Um, and so this is something we've wanted to do at CCV for quite some time, uh, is to raise the threshold to amend our constitution to 60%. Um, you know, this is protects us from having more uh, casino gaming and, and gambling brought to our state. You know, some folks might remember in 2018 where there was a big effort to decriminalize drug possession. It was literally decriminalizing fentanyl possession. Um, and uh, and it was a massive risk. And so, and these folks just have endless money to throw at it. Well, this has been an issue we've been talking about for a long time. And this, then this abortion initiative came up um, and it just highlighted the urgency to get this done, at least for us, Right. There's other folks that support this, like the business community supports this um, yeah. for a Second wide variety Amendment. of reasons. Yep. The Second Amendment folks support this, right? Um, election integrity folks support this because they see the left is looking at our Constitution as a way to, to manipulate law and to get their agenda locked in because it's 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 really difficult to take something out of the Constitution once it's in. Um, and so, you know, the... The, the reality was this has been something that we've been pushing really since last November um, and talking to lawmakers about. And, um, you know, it got caught up in the political games at the Statehouse with all the stuff going on with the Speaker. Um, but really because of some incredible work from a lot of people, um, David Mahan in particular, and but also friends in other organizations, right? The Ohio Rights Life did a lot of great work on this. Um, uh, it, it really was a, a major push. Se- uh, Pre- Senate President Matt Huffman really drove this. And then you have people like Representative Brian Stewart and Senator Rob McCauley and, and Senator Teresa Gavarone. I mean, it, it really was a, a, an effort by a lot of folks to, to drag this thing over the line. And I think one thing that, that I would add to, to David's story um, is we literally passed this thing at the, um, the last moment in order to create an August election. And, and so what this means... Mike, just just bottom line on this is that if we can get this passed in August, you know, everyone's going to go vote on August 8th. Um, if we can get this passed in August, this would be in effect for the November abortion amendment if that goes to the ballot in November, um, which would make it a lot easier for us to protect 30,000 lives every year, not just this year, but in years to come. And so in, in so many ways, this August election is actually um, as important, if not more important than this November because the reality is if we don't raise the threshold to 60%, we're going to be dealing with the abortion industry every election cycle trying to pass this through. Um, that's what happened, you know, uh, folks might remember, and, and I know I'm going a little long here, but 
Um, fo- folks might remember uh, we defeated casinos at the ballot four times. We actually had you guys remember when we had um, our friend from Protect uh, uh, Problem Gambling uh, on the show, uh, Les um, Les Bernal. He talked about how we defeated casino gambling four times at the ballot, uh, but they just kept coming back again and again and again because they only had to get up to 52, 51% to pass, and that's what they did. Um, and so we would deal with that with abortion every year if we don't get this passed. And I think one thing that that's worth unpacking for our listeners is just kind of the basic civics background of this and why it matters that we protect the Constitution specifically. It's not that – it's not trying to prevent – citizens from creating laws. But when when these end up as statutes in our constitutions, they become the things by which all other laws are read. And that's where it becomes problematic, especially as we talked about a lot last season with some of the very vague language that we've seen in the uh, abortion ballot initiative proposal. And those are the type of things that we really need to keep out of the Constitution because it becomes about way more than than the purpose that we're told they're being written for and enacted for. No, that's right. And I think there's a few things there, Mike, that need to be unpacked. First and foremost, to all of our Tea Party Patriot friends out there, they will they always like to remind us we are indeed a republic, not a democracy. That was the 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 real uh, brilliance of our founders um, of saying, hey, it's actually best to have people who are able to deliberate together to, to make the minutia of our laws. Right. We don't want to take every single issue to the voters because a lot of these things are are, are um, detailed and they change over time. Right. Um, like. We didn't have iPhones, you know, 15 years ago, right? So we didn't need to have all of this kind of, uh, all of the different things that have happened with that, uh, with technology in that time. And so this is why we elect representatives to, to do the day-to-day lawmaking. Um, but also what's important about this, Mike, is that this doesn't actually touch the initiated statute process. Right. So voters can still make laws in Ohio with 50% of the vote using the initiated statute process. They can still referendum a law at 50%. So if the General Assembly passes a law uh, that you don't like, you can collect signatures and referendum them, and you only need 50% to repeal it, right? So there's voters still have the ability to, uh, to change law at 50%. All we're doing is we're saying for our constitution, for our foundational document that, that has these core principles, that requires a higher threshold, which again, that's how it is on the U.S. Constitution. You you just need fifty percent of the votes in you know in Congress uh, to pass laws uh, to pass a lot of laws. Um, that's how the budget gets passed at fifty percent, even in Senate and House. Um, but then to change the Constitution, you need three fifths majorities uh, in the uh, uh, in the uh, House and Senate plus three quarters of the states to to ratify. Um, and and that's the way it should be, right? Are you sure that's accurate, though, Aaron? I've been I've been assured that this is an assault on democracy. I, I've heard it nonstop that's, for the past. David, did you figure out what that meant yet? They keep <laughs> chanting one person, one vote. And we're like, yeah, man, one person. Right. We agree. We all agree. So why we do you were, oppose this? We were chanting with them. Like, <laughs> right. <It's> like, <laughs> I mean, like, all the right. people, it's the people that actually get to vote on whether we raise the threshold. Like, right. know, they, they get the vote. Um, so it was it was <laughs> exciting. Yeah, that was my favorite one where they were saying this is undemocratic to pass this. It's like, wait, it's it's undemocratic to let the voters vote on this issue. I, I'm I'm lost. I they don't were shouting, "This is what democracy looked like," and I was shouting right along with them. But but with that said, uh, Rep. Stewart and um, uh, Senator Gavarone and McCauley, uh, kudos. I mean, they they did a phenomenal job pleading this case over and over and over again. Uh, and and thank you for for House leadership for uh, for eventually getting this done. No, that's right. And thank you to everybody for sending emails. I mean, I tell you, we we filled up the state house with those emails and calls. Uh, so thank you to everyone for doing that. And uh, and even to um, and thank you to Governor DeWine. Governor DeWine actually came out and said he would sign the bills uh, it, that that uh, that were required to do this. Um, and uh, because of some technical stuff that never actually got up to him, but but it really was a, an effort across the board to get this done. Yeah, and that, that's a good point, Aaron, that we've said before, the things that we do here, we want to amplify the voices of, of people throughout the state. And by being able to provide them with a way to contact their lawmakers easily and, and stress the importance of this from the grassroots perspective, uh, as you just mentioned, was so, so very important. And as far as other grassroots movements go, we saw uh, another demonstration today of that taking place with a school choice rally right across the street at the at the state house and um, an opportunity to 
for people to say why they want the backpack bill to be passed, that, that we need these options for our kids to get them out of the, as we've said repeatedly, the, the academically and morally failing public schools that are a little too prevalent throughout Ohio, especially in some of the bigger cities. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was great. I uh, had several hundred kids here just outside the state house because we are guys, we are so stinking close to getting the backpack bill done. It is, it is within grasp. Uh, it is, you know, it, if we could get it into the state budget, we could get universal school choice by the end of June. Um, and and the the reality is all things are lining up right now, but we just have to keep the pressure up, right? The, the fact that we see this means the teachers didn't see it. And um, and so they're going to throw everything they can to stop this train. Um, and uh, and it, it was awesome to see so many lawmakers out, so many kids. Um, see our friend Walter Blanks, um, who... Uh, just tells an amazing story of how school choice uh, turned his life around. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it is, it, it's, it's right on the precipice. And this is just why the pressure is working guys. Like we, we keep saying like these next 90 days, you know, we're, we're celebrating 40 years at CCB this year, but these next 90 days could be maybe, you know, some of the biggest in our history with backpack bill passing and potentially 60% passing. Uh, but it's going to take a whole lot of work. Um, and I, I should say, Mike, we didn't even talk about the campaign on 60%, just like with backpack where we had people doing backpack parties and, um, uh, and sending in postcards and all that. We need county captains, volunteer county captains for right. people to help call churches, right? We, we cannot have any churches uh, unaware of what's on the line in August. We got to drive everyone out to vote. So right. I'll just say, this is your call. If, uh, if you're interested in, in volunteering on this effort, go to ccb.org slash county captains, um, and we'll, we'll sign you up to help us reach out to churches in your county to make sure they get election resources. They're doing voter registration. Um, it's, it's really going to come down. Like, and I can, I can give the whole like political analysis of how I think, you know, Catholic and evangelical voters decide basically every election on this one. It is that this we will be the the answer if we turn out to vote we win um and and it but it's an off year you know august election so it's gonna be tough yeah david you do you do such a great job of of making the case as to why this is important and for why churches are are or should be engaged in this election specifically so i want to give you the opportunity to share that with our audience I, i guess that's why i was so excited in the beginning mike while you were clowning my uh my encouragement um that was clowning for me that was Aaron you can you can look right at him that was all on him for me that was the litmus test of what we can expect uh coming you know going into August and then November It, it is absolutely imperative that the body of Christ steps up big time on this we listen I I was thinking the other day if I've never lived in a world where there was no Roe v Wade and and just all of the discussion as to how many babies are being you know, murdered every year. And, you know, all of those discussions, all those prayer uh, and intercession times, um, none of that would have happened if if the body of Christ would have engaged properly back then, 50 years ago. We are in that moment again now. If the body of Christ responds appropriately right now, this fall, um, we can avoid all of those those horrific discussions and um, and, and prayer points. Uh, and we could save 30,000 lives. If the body of Christ does not respond, we will absolutely have worse in Ohio uh, than what we had federally with Roe v. Wade. Um, and that is that is an absolute fact. And so when I saw, you know, black and white and older and younger, and uh, we even have a, had a Jewish, a random Jewish guy there, um, you know, we had Catholics there. It was it was beautiful to see everybody rally together, stand against persecution. Literally, we were standing between the house chamber where the vote was going to happen and this insane mob that was chanting uh, right behind us. We were standing in that gap, and that's exactly the picture. Uh, of where we are right now. So body of Christ, if you are not getting our alerts, you know, you can't wait until like three months down the line when we're, you know, scheduled to to be at your church to speak. You know, we, we need things happening like from moment to moment, things change with 60%. Um, And so you need to be getting our alerts. And uh, sometimes it's more appropriate to write. Sometimes it's more appropriate to call. 
And sometimes it's more appropriate to get down there and go from office to office so that they can see your encouragement in the room. Yeah. And for our listening audience, please, again, stay tuned to ccv.org, our social channels and all that for updates on, on these opportunities and more. I will say for today, for our episode today, as part of the encouragement with this looming August election with the abortion ballot fight, we've got some special audio that we want to share with you. And that's um, the the remarks that Vice President Mike Pence gave at our Cincinnati Gala last week. And Aaron, I'm going to let you tee this up. Uh, it was a phenomenal night. It was an honor to, to hear from Vice President Pence. And you can you can give your perspective you know, you're the president, so you outrank the vice president, right? Exactly. So you can say why it was so important for, for him to join us and to, and to give this encouragement and admonishment to believers at this particular time in Ohio. Yeah, no, I, 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 all I could say is it was an unbelievable blessing and honor to have the vice president come out here for us. And, and not just, you know, again, with someone at his level, with his platform, with the things that he's accomplished, um, you know, he doesn't need to come to CCV. He doesn't need to come to Ohio right now. He's he's served our country and 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 done so with with uh, with honor and uh, but decided to come out for us because he saw that the pro life fight was all coming down to Ohio, um, and so he came out for you know on his own dime to help us raise funds to fight this abortion initiative and to support the work of CCV. And so, you know, I think I, when you listen to his comments, you just hear, I've said this to a few folks, um, and and you'll, you'll hear this when you hear his remarks in the conversation him and I had afterwards, um, you know, there, there's those politicians and you could probably picture them in your head right now. There's those politicians who have learned how to speak, uh, Christianese or pro-lifeese, right? It's, they learn it like a second language. They know the, they know the buzzwords, they know the things they think voters like us like to hear. But then then you meet someone and, and you interact with someone like Vice President Mike Pence and, and you realize, you know, gospel and, and pro-life advocacy is his native tongue, right? This this is this is what animates him, right? This is why he cares so much. Um, and so it, it really was it, obviously it's an honor just to have the vice president come and, and be at your event uh, and speak. Uh, but to have someone, you'll hear in his remarks, he really cares deeply. Um, and and all I can say is our, our nation has been blessed to have him um, uh, serve uh, and, and serve so strongly. Well, we hope it's a blessing and an encouragement to our audience today. Stick around. It'll be coming up right on the flip side of a quick break. Hey, Narrative listeners. You know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism, chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice, and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian chamber of commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. You know, my life has changed a lot since the last time we were together. Moved home to Indiana. We bought five acres and a pond. I got a riding mower. John Deere, 54-inch deck, zero-turn radius, 25 horsepower. Karen lets me mow the back 40 that you really can't see very well. So um, one of the nice parts about no longer being vice president is you get to drive your own car. One of the bad parts is you get to pay for your own gas. Um, But the best thing that's happened to the Pences, which I expect will resonate with all the lovers of life in this room, uh, is that our our son and daughter-in-law and our daughter and one of my unworthy (laughs) son-in-laws Gave us not one, not two, but three granddaughters in the last two years. Man. Three beautiful little girls, and, you know, they're all crazy about me. Um, and, uh, you know, when I think about, I'm, seriously, Aaron, when I think about all the blessings in my life, 
the opportunity to serve my state and serve the nation, ways I could have never imagined. I mean, who also would have thought uh, that I'd be grandfather to the three most beautiful little baby girls ever born in the history of the world. So, I mean, just statistically, I mean, just think about the odds of that. But our lives have changed a lot. Uh, but um, uh, one thing hasn't changed, and that's the impact of CCV here in the great state of Ohio. For four decades, you've been changing the culture of life and brought us to the historic moment that Ohio and America arrived at over the last year. It's amazing to think about it, isn't it, really and truly? In the 1980s, CCV stood up against sexual exploitation of women. In the 1990s, you led the battle against the use of tax dollars to promote obscene art. In the 2000s, CCV led the successful effort to pass a constitutional amendment protecting traditional marriage. And this year, CCV is leading the way to pass the backpack bill and extend educational choice to every family, regardless of their income or area code. So I was with Governor Mike DeWine today, who, how great is Governor Mike DeWine? Can I just, uh, I was just with him a little bit earlier today, and um, I can honestly say I was for Mike DeWine before it was cool. That's how long I've known him. But uh, to see the way he has led this state with principle and conviction. I did tweak him a little bit, being a fellow, you know, a Hoosier, fellow Midwesterner. I, I nudged him a little bit, Aaron, on that backpack bill, didn't I? I said, I'm just, you know, I didn't know if you noticed that Indiana passed universal school choice two weeks ago. So I'm so grateful. Uh, I'm so grateful that uh, Ohio is poised to be a part of this revolution of opportunity for families to choose whatever school fits best for them, public, private, parochial, or homeschool. It's extraordinary. But obviously, as we gather here today on this 40th anniversary, many in this room could scarcely have imagined what else we're celebrating. It's incredible. After 50 years, of lost lives and broken hearts. 50 years of your praying and fasting and laboring. 50 years of standing with men and women at every level. And just about a year ago, the Supreme Court of the United States, with the support of the people of Ohio, and three justices appointed in our administration sent Roe versus Wade to the ash heap of history where it belongs. I always believed that Roe versus Wade would suffer the fate of the Dred Scott decision. It was morally and legally deeply flawed. I believe the day would come when our Supreme Court and our nation would set it aside. I just wasn't sure that it would be in my lifetime. And um, you can't imagine what a privilege it was for me to be vice president in the administration that appointed three of the justices that overturned Roe v. Wade. And I want to thank you for the privilege of serving as your vice president. With the support of the people of Ohio, our administration took office and now America has a new beginning for life. It's truly extraordinary. We're literally at a new era in American history beginning. And the truth of the matter is we haven't come to the end of the cause of life. We've come to the end of the beginning. And now here in Ohio and all across the nation, the battle for life, the battle for hearts and minds in the democratic process has begun. You know, like most of you in this room, I'm not new to the cause of life. I must tell you, growing up in a small town not far from here, I uh, was one of uh, six kids born to a combat veteran, served in the Korean War, a precocious redhead, first-generation Irish-American, who's 90 years young to this day. But I'll be honest with you, I lost uh, interest in religion when I was 
in my high school years. I walked away from it. I, I thought it was a crutch. I thought it was just something um, some people needed, but not me. But then I made my way down to a little school just down the Ohio called Hanover College. I know there's at least one Hanover College alum in the room. <laughs> and there I met some young men who started to talk to me, not about denomination, but they started to talk to me about simply the fact that they were Christians. And they began to speak to me about something they called a personal relationship with God. It was foreign to my background. I had I'd come up in a good church family. It was church on Sunday morning and grace before dinner. But I, that was a new idea to me. And in the spring of 1978, I followed a group of, of friends who made the trek down to a little college much in the news lately called Asbury University. In the spring of that year, sitting on a hillside in a Christian music festival all that weekend, it was like I heard the words for the first time. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever might believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. I remember on that little rainy night, I stood up and I walked down and I found a young pastor and I prayed a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And my life has never been the same. Amen. I opened the book having given him all my life. I wanted to make his cause my cause. And I read verses like, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalm 139, I knit you together in your mother's womb. See, I set before you today life and, and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And there is a young man still forming up in my political opinions and my worldview. As a young Christian, I decided to make the cause of life my cause. And every day since, through early adventures, Dave, in a political career that didn't work out the way I meant it to, by my 40th year, I was sworn in as a member of the Congress of the United States, and there I was proud to stand for life in Indiana. We stood for the sanctity of life and four years in the most pro-life administration in American history. I want to say thank you. You know, the honor of my lifetime to be your vice president. I, uh, One of the proudest moments of my life was... Uh, uh, the day that I became the first vice president in American history to attend the March for Life in person in 2017 with my wife and my daughter at my side. But easily, I, uh, having, uh, having authored legislation to defund the largest abortion provider in America as a member of Congress, you can imagine how much I enjoyed casting the tie-breaking vote as president of the Senate to defund Planned Parenthood. So we made great progress in that historic decision that came last June has now given us an opportunity that many of us had only dreamed about. But to whom much is given, much will be required. Now it's incumbent on us to set a renewed energy in the cause of life here in Ohio and across America. Bless you. Truth is, as we gather, we watch an administration in Washington, D.C., literally working to unravel all the progress that we made for life. President Joe Biden is advancing abortion on demand at home and abroad. He abandoned his historic and lifelong support for the Hyde Amendment and now supports taxpayer funding of abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. He issued an executive order expanding access by mail to abortion pills that have literally cost hundreds of lives across the country in the past 20 years. And now as CCV members mobilize across the state, Ohio has become a battleground in the cause of life. As you will no doubt hear more tonight, the radical left has descended on the Buckeye State. 
Out-of-state organizations like the ACLU are trying to rewrite your state constitution to give Ohio what would be one of the most extreme abortion laws in the United States. In the wake of Governor DeWine and your courageous legislature signing the heartbeat bill in 2019, I must tell you, I have to take the opportunity to commend your attorney general and your governor and your legislature. I was wondering how uh, that heartbeat bill became, went into effect so quickly before the courts even had moved to act, and that's because Attorney General Dave Yost was on the job. He filed the papers the day of the Dobbs decision, and the heartbeat bill was the law of Ohio for two months. Thank you, Dave. But you all know the story better than me. I'm just from next door. The courts have intervened. They've stayed it in the midst of all of that. Now the left is uh, collecting signatures to put a constitutional amendment on the ballot. Well, let's be clear what this referendum would do. It would allow taxpayer funding of abortion in the state of Ohio all the way up to the moment of birth. Health and safety standards for abortion facilities would be completely discarded. An end to parental notification and parental consent for abortions, meaning young girls in crisis situations would be forced to make the biggest decision of their life potentially without their parents even knowing. In fact, this referendum were to pass, it would even allow sex change operations on children without the parents' knowledge or consent. Speaking now as a father and as a grandfather, let me just say, that's not bad public policy, that's crazy. And I know Ohio will win a victory for parents and a victory for life. But it's going to be a fight. In the midterm elections, Democrats spent $350 million on advertising, trying to paint Republicans as the extremists on abortion when they support abortion on demand up to the moment of birth. So this then is our cause. First and foremost, it's a moral cause. We must decide right here and right now that we're going to protect that heartbeat bill that was passed in the Democratic process, signed by your governor, supported by the people of Ohio who reelected that governor and this statewide team in a landslide. We're going to stand by the democratic process, stand by the right to life, and send the radical left packing with their pro-abortion agenda for the people of Ohio. But it's going to take all of us, and with this I'll close. And Aaron has uh, offered to come up and ask me a series of extremely softball questions. <laughs> and I want to say to you, and I'd say it if I wasn't here, it's going to take Christian virtue to win this fight. So I want you to prepare your minds for action. This is not just about Ohio. I mean, the truth of the matter is, the radical left is coming to Ohio because they would like to turn back what the people of Ohio have chosen to do. Not just to win cause of abortion here, but to send a message all across the country. You know, Ohio always plays an outsized role in our nation's destiny. It always has. And I expect it always will. Make no mistake about it. When you win a victory for life, when you come behind CCV's effort, to turn back the radical left, you will set the stage for even more victories for life, and you will set America in motion until the day comes when we restore the sanctity of life to the center of American law in every state in the land. So be ready. And finally, I'd encourage you to avail yourself of that wellspring of support that people involved with CCV hardly need to be reminded of. Now, the Bible tells us that the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous people availeth much. The prayer reaches heaven, his holy dwelling place. 
And that if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and turn, he'll hear from heaven and heal our land. And so as you prepare to give your time, your talent, your treasure, I just encourage you. I encourage you to do what the man who introduced me whispered to me that he does every day. Tony leaned over to me and he said, you know, I'm, I'm on the board here. I work for this organization. We're going after it. We're working hard. But he said to me, I pray for you every day. So I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for all the people of Ohio, including those that may not agree with us on our values right now. Pray that they would hear our hearts and more importantly, hear his heart. That they would hear grace in our voice at every step, but they would also hear resolve. You know, I believe a society can be judged by how it deals with its most vulnerable, the aged, the infirm, the disabled, and the unborn. And so let that be our prayer. That we would be able to win hearts and minds, because these are dark times. Whether it's a crisis at the border, woke culture trampling our liberties, through it all, I have hope. And we never forget that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So men and women of CCV, shine the light of God's truth and grace in the cause of life. Win a victory here and you'll win a victory for life for every American. Thank you very much and God bless you for being here. And God bless the Center for Christian Virtue. Well, thank you, Mr. Vice President. That was incredibly kind. Thank you. Join me again in thanking Vice President Pence for his leadership. Thank you, Eric. And I'll say, as I, as I wind up here for this, this first softball question, um, <laughs> it's got a little bit of a wind up, uh, if you don't mind, but it's not often that you get to sit with a, with a hero in front of, uh, you know, four to 500 of your closest friends. Um, but I, I want to go back to you know, just a few years ago when you were in Congress, and I remember I was a staffer at Center for Arizona Policy at the time, and I, we actually sent, some of you might have seen the email, we sent this out of a floor speech you gave uh, calling for defunding Planned Parenthood. Uh, and it was the first time I had seen uh, a leader on a national stage speak clearly uh, on the pro-life issues, right? Not, not in dog whistles to pro-lifers saying, hey, they, they said protect the dignity of all human life. That was for you pro-lifers. But saying very clearly that Planned Parenthood uh, is taking lives and is taking taxpayer monies to take lives. So from that moment, you flash forward to what Tony was talking about, where that plane went to Indiana. And for a lot of pro-lifers, for a lot of uh, Christian folks at the time, we were... We, we, we came through this primary election in 2016, and we had a lot of questions about where do we go? What do we do? Uh, and you, in for, for me, you in particular, and a woman by the name of Marjorie Dannensfelser, who was with us but had to take off, Marjorie leads uh, SBA Pro-Life America, you all said this is the ticket that we need to go with. Can you talk about what that process was like for you, that whirlwind of joining the, the administration, uh, and, and why you made that, that decision. You know, when I was in Congress, I, I just believe the largest abortion provider in America should not also be the largest recipient of funding under Title X. Uh, and the progress that we have made uh, is only just begun. I, the, the, you know, the reality is when Indiana passed their strong pro-life bill not long ago, after years where Planned Parenthood said, abortion is a very small part of what we do. Well, when Indiana passed a bill eliminating 98% of abortions, Planned Parenthood closed some clinics. Tells you all you need to know. Um, but, uh, yeah, 2016 was uh, quite a year for the Pence family. <laughs> we, um, I remember people would often ask me on the campaign trail in 2016, they'd say, you know, some, say, some reporter would say, what's the most surprising thing about the race for vice president? And I said... You mean other than the fact that I'm in it? Um, I mean, I, 
honestly, I, I, you know, full disclosure, you can read my book. I don't know if I mentioned I wrote a book. Um, <laughs> I'm contractually obligated to mention that. I, in my book, I talk about, you know, I, I actually supported somebody else in the Indiana primary. And uh, in all fairness, Ted Cruz won all three counties I campaigned with him in. And Donald Trump won the other 89. So... <laughs> But I, 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 when the phone call came from a friend that, that would you be interested in being considered, I, my daughter, Charlotte, who's a, actually a best-selling author and a terrific Christian writer, um, she was standing at the governor's cabin in Indiana, and she looked at me, and she said, well, Dad, we all saw this coming. And I said, I'm glad you did. Uh, but, you know, the, the, what, the approach that we took was... Um, we essentially said to their team that uh, I'd need to know two things before I could know whether um, you, I mean, you wouldn't want to take people's time being considered if you weren't willing to say yes. And I said, we'd need to know two things. Number one, we'd need to know uh, them better uh, as a family, because everything the Pences do is as a family. And the second thing I said is I need to know the job description because there's only one person that writes the vice president's job description every four years, right? And I don't know what the current vice president's job description is. <laughs> I don't. So anyway, so I thought that might be off-putting. I mean, I, I said, hey, t tell them, don't be offended, but we'd, we'd really need to spend some time. Boom, they got back with us the next day and said, not only is he not offended, but he really loved your answer. They'd like you to fly to Bedminster, bring your whole family. His whole family is going to be there. And we, we spent a whole weekend um, with them. And um, I mean, some people think we're a little bit different. <laughs> but actually, we felt very comfortable from that, with them from the outset. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration and the work that we did for the American people. Um, it didn't... Didn't end well, uh, but uh, that didn't take a thing away from everything we were able to do. And I wrote about it in my book, and, I, and I'll always be proud to have been a small part of it. But anyway, so we spent time that weekend, and we, we talked through everything. And, and when we talked about the job description, um, I remember we were in, uh, shockingly, we were in a golf cart. What are the odds? Um, <laughs> and uh, he was golfing well, and I was golfing. And uh, I remember I said to him, so, you know, talk to me about what you're looking for. And he just said to me, um, well, I just like a vice president who'd be active. And I said, active? And he said, yeah, you know, I mean, you were in Congress. I'd like you to be active getting our legislation passed. I'd like you were on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I'd like you to be active representing us around the world. I'd like you to travel the country making our case. I'd, I'd like you to be active. And uh, as I tell people often, that's what we call a promise made, promise kept. I mean, it was active. And, um, and so, you know, but it was from that very beginning that Karen and I went back. And uh, I'll tell you one last little anecdote. So Karen and I got on the plane to come back. And at the end of the dinner at Bedminster that Saturday night, um, the man I used to call Donald, says to me at the end of the dinner, he said, well, you know, this has probably been really good for you. And I said, <laughs> and he goes, I mean, being considered. And I said, well, sure. And he said, you know, I mean, so, I mean, whatever, whether it works out or not, I mean, this has been good. I mean, you've got a lot of good publicity and, you know, you've got a great career ahead of you. And I go, yeah, good. So we get on the plane, <laughs> we get on the plane and Karen, I said, what do you think, huh? And she said, I'm, she said, I'm very comfortable with them. I just re immediately failed a rapport that would endure for the next four years of office. Um, but then Karen looked at me and said, but there's no way he's picking you. <laughs> and I said, well, A, thanks for the vote of confidence. Uh, why are you saying that? She goes, what, what he said at the end of the dinner, that was, all, you know, he was letting you down easy. So literally we went back to Indiana and... Um, the night the phone rang, I picked up the phone in the study at the governor's residence in Indiana. I was told the call was coming. Karen and I prayed all the way through it, told the kids we felt called to step up and serve. And the phone rang, and I picked it up, and I heard that familiar voice over the line, and he said, Mike, it's going to be great. 
Uh, he said, but, you know, you're going to have to go north. I'll go south. We're going to campaign as much time. I know you're governor, but you got to go. I'll go here. You go there. We're going to do this thing. We're going to work. We're going to work. He talked for about seven minutes. And I said, well, you know, if there's a question in there, the answer is yes. Uh, and he said, oh, no, right, right, right. I want you to do it. So that was a little bit of a snapshot of how it happened. And... Uh, and uh, I never looked back. And I'll tell you what, I, I really and truly, as I said, didn't end well. And, um, but but the, what we were able to do for the American people, what we were able to do for our military, securing our border, reviving our economy, <laughs> conservatives on our courts, I'll always be grateful to have served as Vice President of the United States. Absolutely. And we're grateful that you, you step up to the call there. I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the activity you did there, uh, in particular uh, the Supreme Court confirmations, because uh, I think for a lot of folks that was a, a wake-up call, especially the, the Brett Kavanaugh uh, experience, um, where you saw Incredible. the left go unhinged like never before, um, and you know I, I think for a lot of folks. Um, you know, how, how I think back to how devastating it would have been if the administration hadn't stood strong through that um, and the way the left would have been rewarded for their tactics uh, throughout that whole process. Can you take us behind the scenes a little bit and talk about what what your part was? Because you, you'd you know, been in Congress. You've known a lot of these folks. You knew this process probably better, much better than a lot of people did. So can you talk through that? Well, you remember we had a vacancy in the Supreme Court during our transition. And uh, while I was chairing the transition and we were assembling our cabinet, uh, the president also asked me to, president-elect asked me to interview the top nine finalists. Um, the same went with, uh, I interviewed, um, uh, I think, the five finalists on the second round. Um, and it was a great privilege for me to be able to speak to them. But I'll tell you the interesting thing. I, I, you have to be careful about what you ask people that, attorney generals here, you have to be careful about what you ask people that are vying for a appointment to the court. You don't ask them how they're going to rule on things, unless you're a Democrat. Um, <laughs> and then that's pretty much all you ask them. Um, and it's on one thing, and the issue that brings us here today. But I, so I was very cautious about that. But at the end of each one of my interviews, I, I came up with a question. I would ask the potential nominees, I said, okay, if, if the president wasn't to pick you, among the list that's being discussed, who would you recommend that he pick? And, and I got some really interesting answers. Uh, six of the nine finalists in the first round said Neil Gorsuch. Uh, and that gave you an idea of the esteem that his uh, conservative uh, jurisprudence had already earned uh, and continues to earn across the country. Um, uh, on the second round, I'll never forget um, uh, speaking, uh, uh, speaking to um, um, Amy Coney Barrett, who, by the way, is from Indiana. I don't know if I mentioned that yet. Um, how great is she? Can I just say that? Oh. Justice Amy Coney Barrett. But one of the things, Aaron, I remember I said to her, you know, who would you pick? And it was at a time, Gene, you might remember this. There was some chatter about maybe Kavanaugh is not really conservative enough. And remember, it was a little bit, I don't know about it. And she looked at me and she said, Brett Kavanaugh. She said she'd gotten to know him really well. He's a solid conservative. He's a brilliant man. And, and I will tell you that the treatment that he took, the courage that he and his family showed, I think... Uh, it, the behavior of the Democrats on that committee was contemptible, but I, I will always be grateful to Senator Lindsey Graham and the Senate Republicans who stood in the gap and stood by that good man. He is and will continue to serve this nation with great distinction. And um, you can imagine on the third round, I wasn't terribly disappointed with the president's decision. <laughs> Um, with Amy Coney Barrett, but just three amazing people. And it was a privilege for me to to speak to them and then offer any thoughts to the president. But ultimately, it was his decision, of course. Absolutely. I, I want to turn to to the issue of life now. L last sort of two questions here for you. I think 
the first thing that comes to mind is in this last election, you heard, you know, one of the the predominant media narratives was, oh, that because Roe was overturned and and you know it abort, you know, banning abortion or heartbeat bills are so unpopular. This is why. Uh, this is why the midterms didn't go as well for conservatives as they thought. Um, what's your response to that? What, what, if you're talking to, we, we have some, we have a Senate candidate in this room. We have uh, a number of folks that want to seek higher office. What do you tell to young politi politicians or other folks that want to get to office about how they should talk about abortion and talk about this issue? Well, first and foremost, the cause of life is more important than politics. But the truth is, um, I, I also think that life is a winning issue. I mean, where, where we had candidates that stood firmly on the sanctity of life and expressed that with principle and compassion, and also held Democrats accountable for their extremist views. Democrats support abortion on demand all the way up to the moment of birth. That's the official position of the Democratic Party and this administration in Washington. Those candidates that took those positions, Aaron, you know it, you watch it closely, they did very well. I mean, I gotta tell you, I, and I've, I've cited it a number of different times, there's a lot of hand-wringing about heartbeat bills being passed around the country, and I said, well, gee, I don't know. Governor Mike DeWine signed a heartbeat bill in 2019, and he won by 25 percentage points in the great state of Ohio. Governor Brian Kemp signed a heartbeat bill in Georgia and against a formidable opponent. Uh, he, he won by seven percentage points in a tough election year. So uh, look, I, I think it's, I, I just think it's a moment that takes courage. And uh, anyone in here who is uh, aspiring to seek office or run for, just have the courage of your convictions and, and know that many more are with us than are with them. I believe it with all my heart. So, so last question for you, Mr. Vice President. The, the, Good, because these people are starving. I know. That we're we're going to get you to your, your food here. The, we, we talked about the... Where was the, like, one softball, and I'm off the stage? <laughs> we, we, we talked about... You, you mentioned the abortion ballot initiative coming up. Um, and it, all eyes are on Ohio right now. What does it take for us to win uh, this year with this abortion initiative coming up? Just tell the truth to the people of Ohio. This is a pro-life state. I mean, there will be a, a blizzard of uh, left-wing money flowing over the airways of this state. And uh, you're, you're all gonna have the opportunity tonight to counterweight that. And I'm very aware there are some, there are some women and men in this room of, of significant means, the, the ability to provide resources. And I gotta tell you, uh, this guy's already raised $5 million from the leading pro-life organization in America for this fight. And uh, he is, he's doing an incredible job. But I always used to say, you know, the only, the only media a conservative can count on is the one you have a receipt for. <laughs> it's not entirely true. I watch Fox News, too. <laughs> but I, I just want to tell you that if, if there ever was a moment to go all in um, and to give to the greatest extent that you can, and more important than that, leave tonight and go find five people that are your peers and go, hey, I, you know what, we go to church together, we work together, I know you care about this issue. I'm in for this amount. Can, can you just match it? Just match what I'm doing. Because I, I submit to you, we have the truth on our side. The things I'm sure Aaron and the team will tell you about it tonight. I think if the people of Ohio just know what this constitutional referendum would do, uh, they'll reject it out of hand. Uh, but what we've seen in these other referenda around the country has not been encouraging, but a lot of it's been because we've been outgunned, we've been outmatched, we haven't been able to to meet the the blizzard of oftentimes uh, uh, inaccurate presentations of our views and theirs, and uh, and so I'd encourage you to do that. And lastly, I've just 
You know, I just end where I began, and that is I, w I would just encourage you to just pray. I think this one, this one's big, everybody. Look, oh, I, you know, I'm a Hoosier. I'm, I get along with Buckeyes most days, <laughs> except in football season. You know, this, little, you people are a little rough. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I get it. Look, there's a reason why more presidents have come from Ohio than any other state in the union. I mean, this is, this is a state that is in so many ways the heart of the heartland. Uh, and, and in many ways, it's almost a microcosm of America in this state. And make no mistake about it, the left in this country would love to plant a flag of abortion on demand and reverse the progress you have made for life here, not just to counteract the progress you've made for life and defending the unborn in Ohio, but to send a deafening message across the country that other states should just not, not bother to try. And so I want to say to you that, that in this moment, as you pray, as you give, as you volunteer, as you talk to neighbors and, and friends, just know that when, not if, when, with CCV in the lead, you win a victory for life and turn back that constitutional amendment, you will have done more than your share to set our nation inexorably on a path of restoring the sanctity of life to the center of American law all across this nation. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative. <laughs>